It's not unusual in the hour of deep pain or the onset of suffering for the believers to have an amazing strength, a resilience to stand up under such a trial, to respond with genuine faith in the sovereignty and, the, and even the grace of God. You may recall a number of years ago when the, the, the members of Emmanuel AME Church down in Charleston, immediately after a, a young man walked in and, and opened fire during a Bible study, killing nine members, reached out with forgiveness and grace, even to the murderer. It's not unusual in an interview when someone who has just lost everything in a natural disaster to hear something like, you know, it hurts. I don't know what, how we'll handle this, but we're trusting the Lord and we know he'll get us through this. When I speak with some of you who are experiencing a, a, a deep hurt or a trial, often your response is to say, I know God is with me in this. And that's not just a platitude. It's the legitimate default reaction of the true Christian in the immediate aftermath of a painful loss or a hard situation to believe in God and to believe that he is still God. And that was Job's immediate reaction to the blow upon blow of pain and loss that, that rained down on him in a matter of days. Job had lost everything. All his wealth is gone. All his servants have been killed. His ten children have been crushed to death in a storm. His physical and his mental health are in utter shambles, and his wife has lost all hope and urged him to just curse God and die. But Job didn't curse God, at least not initially. His response is to worship and to bless the name of the Lord as the one who, who gives and takes away, the one who brings both good and both evil. But what about the hour when the hour of suffering turns into days or months or even years? When the, when the flowers have wilted, when the the cards have stopped coming when the, the visitors and the TV crews and the first responders have all gone home and you're left with, with empty rooms, with, with lost or broken relationships, with debilitating medical conditions. What happens when the pain whose who sudden, sudden shock you initially endured with, with strength and with faith continues on? and on and begins to, to grind away at your mind and at your heart, at your soul, at your very life. When the pain of suffering lingers long, how do you respond? At the end of chapter 2, we're told of the arrival of three of Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They evidently weren't local, and when they heard of the evil that had befallen Job, they, they, they come together to show him sympathy and, and comfort like a good friend does. And it wasn't a matter for them just of, of picking up the phone or dropping in for a short visit. The news of what happened to Job had to travel to where they were. And then they had in turn to, to turn around and travel back to where Job is. And it's likely 
that a matter of weeks, if not months, had already passed since Job's calamity had happened. Enough time that when they do arrive, they can't believe their eyes. Job is in such a devastated, disfigured state that they don't even recognize him. They are so shocked that along with him, they tear their robes, they break out in tears and start weeping. And then they just sit in silence. They don't even know what to say. They sit there for seven days and nights, a week of just sitting without saying a word as their friend suffers miserably. I've sat in hospital rooms with terminally ill patients, sometimes with family there, sometimes alone. It's hard to be quiet for even seven minutes, let alone seven days. You feel the need to speak. You want to say something encouraging. You want to express some words of of sorrow or some words of, of comfort. But sometimes silence is all we have. And sometimes silence is the best thing we have. But as time goes by, that silence becomes deafening. There's a saying that, that time heals all wounds, but that is not necessarily true. Sometimes when the pain of suffering lingers on as the, as the sleepless nights continue and multiply as emotions begin to frazzle as as physical and spiritual resolve begin to erode away as prayers seem to go up and and hit the ceiling unanswered as those around us don't know what to say and maybe even start kind of staying away suffering can begin to feel like, like, a, like a slow train that's had the brakes removed downhill and it just starts rolling and rolling and picking up steam until finally the silence is broken by the loud groans and cries of desperation. And that's where we find Job in chapter 3. He is in a very dark place. And this is a very dark chapter in the Bible, perhaps one of the darkest Derek Thomas said after he preached on this uh, chapter, someone came up to him after church and said, that was not a happy sermon. (laughs) This is not a happy sermon. This is not a happy chapter. There is nothing happy here. On the surface, in fact, it seems there is nothing good here. Indeed, were it not for the fact that we actually know the end of the story, we might wonder, why in the world is this even in the Bible? If you had written it, you probably wouldn't have put it there. And some of us maybe don't like that it is in there. It makes us uncomfortable. Maybe a bit embarrassed. How do, I, how do I explain this to, to a friend who I'm trying to, to get to see that the, the Lord is good? For some, we might read this and get a little judgmental. Christians shouldn't talk like this. Really? Go read Psalm 88. 
Go ask Elijah as he lays distressed and depressed in the wilderness, asking God just to, to take his life. Go talk to Jeremiah, the prophet, who almost quotes Job verbatim in Jeremiah 20 after he's been beaten and put in stocks, simply for saying what God told him to say. The difference here with Job, though, is he's not talking to God. Job is not offering up a prayer. He's not even talking to his friends yet. Job is speaking to himself. He's, he's voicing this inner conflict, this wrestling that's going on, this turmoil of his feelings in a way that is horribly honest and really raw. And the reality is most of us have probably never been where Job is. And we should be thankful for that. We should be thankful for God's mercy but perhaps some of you have, or maybe you know someone who has. Maybe some of you may be feeling like you are right now. Privately, you're having thoughts you'd never thought you'd have about, about God or about faith or about life itself. You feel a, a kind of bubbling and boiling up of this inner anguish, this anxiety, this sense of, a, of affliction that at some point you just feel like it's going to gonna burst out. As David says in Psalm 39, I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail for my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused and the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. We want to hold it in. We want so bad to, to be strong and to bless the Lord. But when it comes out, what comes out is a curse or a cry of pain. And perhaps you've been there. Or perhaps you know someone like that. And you aren't sure how to react. Well, God wants us to listen to Job. Because he wants us to understand that, that even his very own children, even those whom he affirms as upright and blameless and righteous, will travel through dark valleys of despair, will suffer deep pain, will go through unwarranted distress for no apparent reason. And such suffering will stretch, it will challenge, it will pull, it will refine our faith in ways that may surprise and even scare us. Because it may feel as if God has either turned against or abandoned you altogether. Think too often when we think of the story of Job, we want to stop at chapter 2. You know, Job suffers not because of his sin, but because of this thing going on with God and Satan. And, and he, he endures that suffering and he, he holds fast to his faith. End of story. Be like Job. But that's not where the story ends. His, his story is far from over. Satan's attack, which took away all that he had, which touched Job's skin and wrecked his body, now begins to seep in deeper 
and begins to eat away at his, at his heart, starts to work on his soul. And chapter 2 ends with Job sitting in silent suffering that we're told is very great. And chapter 3 begins with Job opening his mouth. And what comes out is a curse and a complaint and a question. Even if we had not, have not voiced it as poetically and pointedly as Job does, we probably all have, have thought or felt some of the things that Job says in here. And if you haven't, take note. Mark this place in your Bible so that when you do, you will know that you are not alone. So the first thing Job does when he opens his mouth is he, he curses not a string of four-letter words and just, you know, venting and, and saying things that don't make any sense, but, but a, wishing, a, a wishing away, a pronouncement of woe on something or someone. But note again, he does not curse God. In fact, he doesn't curse the people who brought this pain upon him. He doesn't, he doesn't bring down curses on the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans and, and, and other things. He curses the day he was born, verse 1. As I said to the kids, birthdays are cause for celebration. We, we had a celebration with a friend, some friends last night of their birthday, and it was a great time. We, we rejoiced. We, we, we talked about how, how wonderful it was to, to know them and to be, the, be their friend. And we saw with Job's children back in chapter 1 that, that, that there were times of joyful feasting and, and birthdays on their special day was a time to celebrate with friends and family, to rejoice that, that you have come into the world. Kathy and I recently received the news that we're going to be grandparents again, and we did so with a huge smile and with, a, with just a praise to God. When you hear the sound of a little baby's first cry as they emerge from the womb, it's cause for joy. For the mom and, and dad. And Job looks back to this day when he was born in his life. And he says, let that day perish. Do away with it. Let it be covered in, in thick darkness. Let that day never see the dawn. Let, it, let God turn away from it. Let it be a God forsaken day so that light will never shine on it. Let it be filled with gloom and covered with clouds and, and seized by utter blackness. It's not a very nice birthday card, is it? Literally, he says, let darkness redeem the day, not so that it's set free, but to save it from existence in order to save Job from being born into this misery that he's experiencing. Job not only wants to turn the, the, the clock back in time, but he wants to actually undo the whole creative process that brought that day into existence. Where God says, let there be light to separate the day from the night, Job says, let there be darkness that this day may never come. Don't let the sun Peek over the horizon. Don't make it a special, joyful day among all the others. In fact, he says, don't make it a day at all. Just, just cancel it. <laughs> what does Job want for his birthday? Delete it from the calendar. He even calls up professional cursors, those ready to rouse up the monster Leviathan to, to rain down curses on that day. Why does he do that? He says in verse 10, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb nor hide trouble from my eyes. 
Job wishes that day was barren because his mother wasn't. And therefore, he finds himself buried in the trenches of trouble beyond compare. Job just simply wishes he'd never been born. Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? Sometimes a little child or a teenager might say something like that in anger because a a parent takes away dessert or makes them do something that they really don't want to do. And so they, they pitch a little fit and say, I wish I'd never been born. It's a tactic to gain sympathy. But Job's not pitching a little fit here. He's not just using a tactic to gain sympathy. He's serious. He wants to do away with the day of his birth But he knows that's not possible. And so since he can't erase his birthday, Job moves from a curse on that day to a complaint that he actually lived through it. In essence, Job says, it would be better if I had never been born. But since I was, I wish I'd never survived that day. He says, why did I not die at birth? Why did I ever make it through the womb and, and in up onto the knees of my mother and, and suckling at her breasts? Why was I not hidden away like a stillborn child who, who never sees the light of life? Job sees death at this moment as better than the life he has now. That's tough. There's an echo here in God's people's response when they found themselves out in the wilderness You remember what they said? They said, we had it better back in Egypt. (laughs) We'd we'd rather just go back there and die where at least we're eating good food and, and, and it's better than being out here. The blinding effects of pain and misery often cloud our ability to to remember or to see God's past goodness and his promised faithfulness. Trials can lead us to, to question the things that we've always known and believed about God. It can cause us to forget years or even decades of God's blessings. And Job begins to lose this this proper perspective that he had earlier. And while he doesn't curse God or lose his faith, he does begin to question God and question his purposes. Now, it's significant here that Job is not thinking thoughts of suicide. He's not thinking about taking his own life. That thought doesn't enter into the equation Job remains faithful to the boundaries that God has placed upon him, even if he does not like them. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. Do believers get to that point and even even make that terrible choice to end their own lives? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I've done funerals of such. The choice of putting our own desires into effect now rather than waiting and accepting and trusting God's promises and plans through suffering, it's not an easy choice. It's not an easy choice. But ending one's own life is never the right choice. Even if we or if our society tells us differently. Young people, please listen. Do not let The lie that death is a better option than life cause you to do something. Don't believe it. It's not true. That is not our decision or anyone else's decision to make. 
God alone is the giver and taker of life, and he will welcome us home at his appointed time. And Job may not see the point of living right now. He may wish that he weren't living right now, but he doesn't consider taking his own life. He just wishes it had never come to be. And at this point, Job thinks surely that just lying in the darkness of the grave would be better than going through what he's going through right now. At least for him, in his mind, death would bring some relief, some rest from all this suffering and weariness. From from his perspective, the grave is kind of the great leveler. There, there will be kings and counselors who have had power and money, and there will be the wicked and the wealthy and the master and the slave and the small and the great, and they'll all have ceased from strife and toil and lay down at ease. Notice Job is not thinking of heaven here. In fact, he's, there's no sense of any heaven or hell being expressed, no sense of any kind of afterlife His desire for death does not rest in the hope of being with the Lord. He says nothing about a a resurrection or a redemption or being in the Lord's presence, although we will see later in his his debates that he does hold on to such hope. But Job is not at this point saying like Paul does in Philippians that to die is gain because it is better to be with the Lord. That's not what he's thinking. Job's desire for death is simply to escape the weariness, the unrest, the ongoing trouble he's experienced in his life and all the questions and turmoil that it's causing. He is weary in life and the sleep of death seems a better option to him. He will not take his own life, but he wishes and he wonders why it wasn't taken from him to spare him this misery. You see, the deep reason for Job's unrest and his complaint is his inability to grasp what is happening. His inability to understand what God is doing. How can an upright and blameless man who fears God and and avoids evil, whom God himself has, has affirmed as his own servant, be going through this much suffering? Rest and peace come when things are as they should be, when there is a a cosmic order and things operate within their proper boundaries. And Job is here saying, things are not right. (laughs) This is not how it should be. The hedge of blessing which Satan had accused God of putting around Job to protect him has become a, a hedge of suffering that is hemming Job in and imprisoning him. And he can't understand why. His faith is being challenged. And we see that in the questions that he poses towards the end of these verses, in verses 20 to 25. Despite cursing the day of his birth, it happened. And despite wishing he had not been born, he was. And he's still alive. And so Job wonders, why? Why, God, continue to give light and life to those who are in utter misery? Why continue to shine, on, shine light on those who are bitter in soul, who only wish to go to the grave? And here Job brings God back into the picture. He brings him back into the picture. And we see that Job has not abandoned his faith, but he is certainly questioning it. 
Why would God lead him down this hidden, God-forsaken path of suffering? Why has he done, what has he done to deserve this? And that's the big question. That's the big question. That's the question that Job will continue to wrestle with and his friends will continue to, 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 uh, to give unhelpful answers and advice to. But Job's not a throw, afraid to throw it out there. It's the question that will, will arrest the silence of his friends and cause the next chapters of debate. And it's a question that leaves Job reeling in misery. He says, my daily diet is the loud sighs and the deep groans of pain and trouble. All his fears, all his anxieties, everything he dreaded, in his dreams and as he, he sacrificed for his children has now come to fruition. His worst nightmares have come true. His questions are left unanswered. And Job ends with a very honest confession. I am not at ease. Nor am I quiet. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. Job is a restless soul. The world is full of restless souls. We have friends, we have family who are restless souls. Some of you here are restless souls. This is often where we find ourselves when pain lingers long. So what are we to do with it? Where is God in this? Where is the gospel in this chapter? Hard to find. But it's there. As we sit in darkness, there is a cry of the soul that gives expression to our deepest emotions and questions about God as we face long suffering, as the silence grows deafening, as our understanding still remains cloudy, as the questions pour forth and, the, and the words of, uh, we come to the words of Job and they help us to see we're not alone. We're not alone. There is a reason God put Job 3 here in the Bible. Job gives us a very realistic view of human suffering and the response that it often brings. A very realistic view of the, the things we experience, even as believers. It hurts. It's painful. It comes both unexpectedly and, and inexplicably upon us when we're least expecting it. And when it does, even the most righteous and faithful person may wonder and have questions. Why? Job gives us permission to give voice to the cry of the soul, to confess our restlessness to God. Job gives us permission to vent. <laughs> Does Job sin in what he says here? Perhaps. He doesn't curse God, but he certainly questions him. And by implication, perhaps you could say he accuses him. But it's telling, you know what, that God does not rush right in here and put a stop to it right now. He could have given Job what he was asking for. 
We put a lot of emphasis on the patience of Job, but what about the patience of God we see? He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. Can God handle your venting? Oh, yes, he can. (laughs) He's not caught off guard by your questions. He's not challenged by your accusations. Indeed, he hears them and he listens and he's patient. The very fact that Job is wrestling and restless, the very fact that he's asking the questions, that he's feeling the despair, means that he knows something is not right. And therefore, there's still a glimmer of hope. (laughs) Even in the darkness, we cannot avoid God. We cannot sit still. We cannot rest. He will not let us be at ease until we have dealt with the big question. And that big question involves God. And so even when we feel hopeless, the deep cry of the soul is a signal that we know somewhere hope exists. And ultimately, the darkness and cry of despair that Job experiences foreshadows a still deeper darkness, a louder cry that was to come in the life and from the lips of a man who was more righteous than Job and who suffered more deeply than him. And his name is Jesus. Jesus experienced a darkness deeper than Job chapter 3. In fact, we read about it in Matthew as he hung there on the cross The world went dark for three hours. He knew what it was to be hedged in by God on a path of deep pain and suffering. And yet, he walked it willingly, voluntarily. He knew what it was like to long and wish for another option. Oh Lord, if there's any other way this can happen, just it would be much better than what I'm getting ready to go through and going through. But he submitted his will to the Lord. He experienced the sighings and groanings, the unease, the unrest of trouble. And he experienced it to the fullest. Such that he cried out with the big question on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? And brothers and sisters, if Jesus could cry out, why, so can you and I. But more importantly, Jesus accepted God's answer to that question. He was forsaken. And he was forsaken so that you and I would never be. He suffered and died so that we, in our suffering, in the depths of our pain, even in our facing death, would truly find light and life and hope. God will allow you to go through incredible pain and suffering, but he will not allow any of us to go through more than he himself has already gone through for us. Think about that. We have a savior. We have a God. We have a high priest who has borne every temptation, every suffering, every pain that we could ever imagine. He has suffered the loss of everything in order that Job and you and me might be comforted and quieted, might find rest in the midst 
and ultimately from all the trouble of this life. So where are you now? What pain or trial might you be experiencing? It might not be the magnitude of Job, but it may be causing some of the same thoughts or questions as Job. It may seem like anything else would actually be more bearable than what you're going through at this point. Like Job, you may feel alone. You may feel like those around you don't understand or that the things they, they say or don't say are, are, are reaping some judgment upon you. You may feel like God is silent or maybe even absent. But unlike Job, brothers and sisters, we know the answer to the big question. God has not forsaken you. God has not forsaken us because he has already been forsaken for you. And Jesus invites us in the midst of the darkness of death and the restlessness of our souls and troubled lives, he invites us to come to him, to receive the light of life in his resurrection to find rest for our souls. Let's pray together. Lord, there may be those here today who are crying out inside in the way that Job cried out with his mouth. Father, Bring comfort. Bring the light of life in Christ Jesus to bear. And whatever that situation is, you know it. And Lord, there may be here who, those here who have never been at rest in their souls. Who have never heard of the fact that you went through the deepest suffering on the cross in order that all of our suffering would have meaning and purpose and ultimately be healed. Lord, draw them to yourself. And Father, for all of us, as we see suffering around us, as we, as we hear from others who are going through painful situations, keep us from just utter, uttering platitudes. Help us to speak hope and comfort, to come alongside and sit and weep and love in the way that you have loved us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and conclude our time lifting our voices in worship to Christ, the Lord, who has redeemed us from all sin and suffering.
Now raise your hand and receive the promise that God has for you. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.